It's episode 75 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Rhiannon Vivian. I'm good, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good, I'm very good, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Hooray! That would be awkward if one of us was much more keen than the other. Yeah, uh, I'm really not excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm barely tolerating this. Uh, um, right, you are a member of the Maydays. Yay! Yay! Yay. Yes, <laughs> good, isn't it? Uh, and you and the Maydays are going up to the Birmingham uh, improv festival that's right yes this very weekend yes exactly that sounds exciting it's really exciting i haven't been to birmingham since i was 15 and i think i went to the clothes show festival which was basically and that's gonna age me because the clothes show was on the telly i mean i remember the clothes show in the fine. 90s yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in the 70s and um <laughs> Yeah, so we went there to, to that festival and we walked around loads of stalls that sold like hairbands and, and stuff like that. So that's, that's been my own experience of Birmingham, so I'm so excited to go. So I just want to delve into this yes. clothes show. Was that, was that <laughs> just a little bit, because you've brought it up now. I just want to delve into it. So you were particularly fashion conscious? No. Oh. Uh, no, I think um, it was something that me, my sister and my mum just thought it would be fun to do. It was like a tie-in. There was, there was a telepromo magazine, and I was just getting into, like, oh, I could wear, like, a shiny skirt or something. Uh, <laughs> or I could put some glitter on my face, but still massively awkward. And also just thought it was just a nice day out. Um, and I don't think any of us had been to Birmingham. So we were like, brilliant. And then we saw the inside of um, the enormous exhibition centre the and then MC. left again. Yeah, so oh, yeah, yeah. we didn't really see it. <laughs> the MC is actually outside Birmingham. <laughs> there we go. I've been just outside Birmingham and I've looked at hairbands. Um, so I'm so happy <laughs> to see actual Birmingham and do some improv and see that the theatre, I'm very excited to see the theatre because I looked it up, I've been looking up all my coordinates so that I know where I need to be <laughs> and uh, I love the name of it, it's called the Blue Orange Theatre it's like it's like a theatre that totally couldn't decide whether it was blue or orange, it was like, I'm both man I only thought, thought of this just now but is it a reference to films and the colour palette of films, you know some <gasps> films just have blue and they emphasise the blue and the orange um, the last Mad Max film in particular did that. It was all oranges and blues. That would make way more sense than someone just not being able to decide. <laughs> I've got two favourite colours. Be... <laughs> one's blue and one's orange. What should we call it? The orange-blue <laughs> theatre? Yeah. Nah. Other way around. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to be really ace. And what's also exciting is that it's Halloween weekend and it ties in super well with Happily Never After because our show is gothic and bleak and a bit dark and weird. And there's usually a bunch of deaths. I mean, in a death count per show, I think we've been in the tens. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Which, considering, you know, there aren't that many Maydays, is, is uh, a lot of deaths. Yeah, it is, yeah. So there's lots of, like, lots of characters as ghosts doubling up as other characters. It, it's quite interesting. It's, it's a very nice, it's a very nice form of concept to be able to do a show that is... Because obviously it's based on the works of Tim Burton and also the Brothers Grimm and like other kind of dark tales. We wanted to cast the net a bit wider than just yeah, Tim yeah. Burton, but that was our jumping-off point. And it's a um, musical. And it's it's sort of a musical fa- fairy tale tale, 
uh, a dark gothic tale if you like so yeah lots of emphasis on that and um yeah so in the, in in celebration of all things sort of slightly bleak and burtony a lot of our characters get killed off and uh, interestingly and really fun <laughs> sometimes the protagonist in like the first <laughs> scene or two and then where do you go from there and what a delight because yeah you can have a a real interesting time with the plot <laughs> So where did, uh, with whom did the concept for Happy Never After originate? Um, with our MD, Joe Samuel, with our musician. Um, he is a um, brilliant brain, amazing pianist, pitch perfect, um, all of that. And um, yeah, he just, had, he just had the idea for it. And I think um, it fits in with a lot of things that all the May Days like. Like, of all of the shows that we do, Everyone definitely has like favourites and ones they prefer more than others, but I think this may be the first one that everybody loves equally. And I think because it's got because it's more than just music, there's also narrative which we haven't done that much before. Um, but again, there's also really lovely points that you can get in like kind of standalone chatty scenes. There's other there's 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 lots you can bring to it and still have it be like. <laughs> with any luck, a coherent <laughs> narrative, dark <laughs> gothic tale by the end of it. Um, so yeah, it's really, really nice to have a show that delights like everybody, and I absolutely—it's totally my jam. I adore it. I really do. Um, Wednesday Adams is my spirit animal, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to have Ace Fun. Uh, what is essentially a Halloween show? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> On Friday. So has the. Has the show evolved from the original concept? Is there anything you've sort of added or anything you've taken away from the original idea? Um, I think what we what's happened is that it's evolved um, by itself, really. Um, and I think initially we were all kind of looking at ways of being as Burton as possible, kind of looking at tropes and being quite sort of thoughtful about... Um, the way that he constructs things or the way that narrative fairy tales are constructed and things like uh, the, the prevalent evil in society and the kind-hearted monster and things like that. And I think the first couple of shows we might have been quite in our heads about that because when you learn something new, you have to do it in front of an audience in order to kind of to get it yeah. going. Um, but you know that those first bunch of shows are not going to be you know, the golden hour yeah, yeah, <laughs> of improv. Yeah. Which is probably um, for the best, because if, if they were solid gold, then where have you got to go after that? Yeah, that we'd be like, what should we do now? <laughs> oh, no. We cracked it. We'll have better stop. We've way. sold improv. Night, night. <laughs> <laughs> we give up. No. Um, so I think what's happened is that we've, well, maybe I speak for myself, but I've certainly worried less about tropes and things that I think I should be doing. And right. it's it's that we've done so many and we've, we've, we've kind of done as much revision as possible and now it sits in our subconscious mm, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's a great place to be because it's a bit like <laughs> this is going to be a terrible analogy now but it's like when you learn to drive yeah, yeah. um the first time i went out in the car by myself i couldn't have the radio on i was literally focused on everything i, I wouldn't have been able to sing or do anything i literally had to do the task in hand and i feel that's what happens when you roll a show out yeah, yeah, yeah. initially w with a new sort of structure or new kind of idea and um, yeah the more confident you get the more you can turn the radio and start on and start singing and <laughs> hold the steering wheel with one hand and all that shit so I feel like that's what's happening with us now we're kind of like 
cool that stuff is bubbling away so we can kind of put some icing on the cake and really go to town with some cool grisly deaths and some brilliant left field moves like I don't know killing off a character that's really nice (laughs) that everyone seems to be liking (laughs) dead (laughs) yeah you've moved from the conscious competence to unconscious competence Competence. yeah I think so and I think that that's the same for like any anyone trying anything new whether it's you know what whatever however much improv you've done however many of this and that you've done or anything that you do in your life yeah you have to move from one to the other I mean we're out near humans <laughs> so uh, within the happily never after uh, structure you have a call out mm-hmm. and the times I've seen the show it's been the occupation of a grandparent yes is that always the call out or is there always a call out yeah we always ask for a real life profession of somebody's grandparent because um we i think it would be so sad to do a fake one <laughs> i don't think we've got a fake one um uh, what a fake a fake someone shouting something out for the sake of it <laughs> right, okay. it's just really lovely to hear um some of the things that people grandparents have done some of the yeah. jobs that either don't exist anymore or some very interesting things that I mean, we had, the last one we had was Artist's Model, yes. which was a dream. Like, we haven't had that before. And, you know, we've had a lot of um, delightful ones in, like, carpenters and, like, trades that may have kind of slipped away or don't you don't necessarily see much of. A great fun to do because it makes it, whilst it's timeless, we don't, we don't seek to set it in any particular hmm. time. It's got an air of old-fashioned about it. I yeah. think it just has to. Um, so that's why it's that's why we went for that, um, and we can get such rich stuff from it. I think old-fashioned <laughs> is a really good way of describing it. And it's not quite fairy tale, but it's kind of so. It's it's sort of familiar because we're all sort of aware of what these jobs are. But it is, and we're, and we're connected to it. Mm. But it is at one remove, and it is yeah. the, the sort of the otherworldly, or some sort of different thing. So it's accessible, but not of this world. Yeah, definitely. It's a, I feel like it's a little bit like looking into a old scuffed mirror. Mm. It's like I I see and recognise everything, but there is a there's, and I'm familiar with it, but there's a distance without a doubt. And uh, yeah, that's the aim. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. So, uh, in in the show, what sort of roles are you drawn to playing? Um, uh, demonic children. Demonic children. Yeah, and I feel like I really need to break out of that. Okay. Every time we do a show, I'm like, I'm going to challenge myself and play, I don't know, not a demonic child. <laughs> um, so either a child that is not demonic or a demon that isn't a child. Uh, either, either one would be progress. Yes, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy it. Um I don't know why. I think it's just because it's... Maybe it's because it's unexpected. Maybe because, you know, there's a touch of, like, the Wednesdays and the Pugsleys about about it that is just really fun. Um, and the fact that kids can get away with so much and they can appear innocent in these tales and then turn out to be, I don't know, yeah, demonic, a dreadful, ghost, <laughs> ghostly. Um, and it's just fun to play with. Uh yeah, I've played some baddies, like some, I've played like, um, 
did I play? Oh, beautiful music. <laughs> <laughs> um, I played a old, uh, a former husband of, of one of the other characters who was vile. Right. Uh, that was a lot of fun to play. Um, but it was one of those scenes where I wasn't entirely sure of what I was doing. Right. Okay. And I ended up, the character ended up, he, he was so evil, he kind of eviled himself to death. Right. He kind of like, he was vile. I felt like in my mind, he was like this kind of postulating, revolting. He was, he was, he was rich and unkind. Yeah. And I felt like he was kind of made, probably just like dripping with hideous diseases. And in the end, he kind of burst open because he was so greedy and I killed him off. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely drawn to, to kids or, is kids or objects? I like playing children, objects. Um, and well, we'll come to the objects in a minute. I'd like to yeah, just explore um, how you would advise, is advise, is the right word? Uh, if people wanted to play children from your perspective, mm. how would you, you know, what would your advice be? Um, funny you should say that, because I ran a workshop on that. <laughs> um, because I really enjoy playing kids, and I, I draw a lot from when I was a child, the thoughts I had, and kind of um, the views of the world that I had, and the, the incredible intelligence, and children are so perceptive, and they're really deep, and they're really mm. clever. They just haven't got as much experience of the world as adults. Yeah, and they think some really deep shit. Mm. They really do. Like, um, you know, if you do a cross section of people and try and say, what, when you were a kid, you know, what do you remember thinking that was kind of high concept? Because, and most people have a thing, like, when I did my workshop, and now I can't remember any of them, it's just so annoying, but when I had my workshop, um, people were coming up with things right, left and centre and saying, oh, well, I, I remember thinking this, or I remember thinking that, and everything had a real strong logic to it, and it was a real thoughtfulness, and, and I personally remember thinking, and I, I can carbon date it, because I remember what room I was in, and our family moved house after I was the age of four, so I was like, this is definitely four or under memory. I remember looking in the mirror and going, in my head, only I will ever be able to see out of my eyes. And I couldn't believe it. And I just thought, yeah. I'm, I, I'm the only person who can do that. And that's weird. And what a shame, but also, hmm? <laughs> just like th things like that. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then, yeah, I think the thing to bear in mind is the fact that, yeah, kids are, kids are high concept. They are not daft. Yeah, whatsoever yeah, yeah. they will be thinking about things and ruminating things that they'll never tell you about yeah. um, they'll be scared of things that they'll never tell you about like really kind of big world things yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my, sorry to interrupt but yeah. my, my fear growing up was that the Nazis would return and that because I had the surname Moses I would be despite being quite Aryan in looks uh, that that would go not well for me did you tell anyone? No. No, there you go. <laughs> I, and I, I spoke to my, you know, parents about it recently and it's like, well, <laughs> they didn't know I thought this. <laughs> I know. It's amazing what you choose not to not to bother yeah. saying as a kid. You're yeah. like, it's almost like you kind of, it's not like you're not being engaged with or like, and people are paying you attention, but it's like you make a choice because, and again, you know, you probably, you're, you're so, you're very well-rounded in terms of like, your perception of of how what, what people might think of you if you say that will you get into trouble yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing and I remember being exceptionally frightened of oh, all manner of things in particular fire 
Which when is I was an a evolutionary, kid. Uh, you know, evolutionary wise, that's quite a good thing to be fair of. Yeah, but it was off the back of like I would get terrified about things I watched on the news. I would get scared of things that had happened in our local area. The fire one came from a car, an underground car park um, caught fire. And I was just then worried about it for months. Yeah. And I watched my nephew watching Stickman at Christmas time about two years ago. He's four now. Um, and he was glued to the screen, but I could tell like he, his brain was going at a million miles an hour. And yeah. Stickman's really sad. <laughs> it's a kid's I, cartoon, but it's really sad. I've not read Stickman. Um, my kids are 14 and 12, so we read a lot of those, the Gruffalo and yeah. Room on the Broom and all that sort of thing. But I think Stickman must have just come out when they were sort of growing out of them. But oh I can my imagine. goodness, you have to watch it. It's yeah. so, it's, it's, it's all the emotions and it's right. a stick. But, oh, oh my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, but after it, he, he cried because he was sad for Stickman. And then my sister said that he'd also got really upset again about it at bedtime. And yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. Th- constantly thinking. And um, that's a very long, I've answered your question in an exceptionally long-winded <laughs> way. But that's literally only one, th- one thing <laughs> to, to bear in mind. Um, there's so many other things, like the fact that when kids argue, they, they will use any, any logic to prove what they've just said. And it's probably not real world, which is mighty enjoyable to use. <laughs> the kind of tangential stuff they do as well, they go off on tangents, yeah. and I kind of feel like once you get in the same boat uh, conversationally with a kid you need to just not worry about tying ends up because it's like (laughs) this conversation is linear (laughs) we're not going to be going back to pick up the pieces because now we're on to this next subject and that's another lovely thing to play with as well and um yeah, just so, just so, there's so much rich stuff. It's not just walking on stage and going, hello, I'm a child. I mean, that would be nauseating and and just bleh. <laughs> I, I went through a phase of playing children when I started improvising, and part of it was uh, handing over the power to the other person in the scene as to what was going to happen. No, but you see, you have probably more power playing the child, I think. Well, this is, what I, <laughs> this is sort of what I've grown to learn, and I've... I, I've tried to stop playing children because I've played it too much as a default. But now, the last couple of times I've done it, I've played a child, but I've tried to play a high-status child. Brilliant. Which is much more interesting and much more rich and takes you to so many more interesting places. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. And I think also, you know, drawing from your own memories is great. Drawing from any children that you know, nieces, nephews, your own kids, anything like that. Um, Or little snippets of conversation that you sometimes hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kid logic is just brilliant. <laughs> it's so brilliant. Um, so yeah, I play a lot of demonic children, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and I've played some old ladies and some old 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 dudes. Um, <laughs> oh, and some animals. It's always delightful to play like a demon or a dog <laughs> or <laughs> or just a plant or something. Well, yes, and you're. <laughs> You're doing a workshop called Objects That Talk yes. uh, this weekend in Birmingham. I am. Saturday morning. Please come. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I. that was born out of the fact that I do end up playing a lot of objects. It seems to be a fun, fun pastime for me. And also I think Jenny Rowe, who's also in the May Days, we enjoy it very much. Um, and that is just great fun because it... I just I just enjoy the fact that you can play like a chair, a table, a plant pot, 
a pair of shoes and you can put some real human traits characteristics and points of view on top of that and it's just so funny and you don't even have to reference what you are particularly yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean maybe once or, or a bit to, so that you communicate what you are because yes. there's no way I'm going to ever be able to look like a shoe <laughs> um, maybe first thing in the morning I don't know <laughs> Uh, or a table, no matter how, no matter how on point my object work. So, yeah, once you've got that out of the way, then it's lovely to just play with it because there's just that lovely thing between you and the audience, and they know that you're yeah. something that shouldn't talk, and you're talking. And I don't know why. It's just I like to watch it as well. It's just very satisfying and very fun, and entertains the daft side of me. I just and I do. And again, going back to childhood, I did put a lot of. I used to. Was it anthropomorphise? Oh, yeah, yes. I have a real trouble saying that. Yes. Um, everything. So, like, I had a plate that I got sad for because oh, I took yes. it to Brownies yeah. uh, with a cake on, and Brown Owl never returned it. And it's one of those things I never yeah. told anyone about, but she never returned the plate. And I remember just feeling really sad for it, going, the plate will never come home. Yes poor plate it's like everything I project like human traits onto things and I, um, I do <laughs> that as well to the extent where I would if I was walking along um, I wouldn't kick a stone along the road because it was then my friend and then I had poor to leave it stone. behind oh I thought because you wouldn't, wouldn't want to kick it oh well, yeah well, well I think the stone <laughs> didn't mind yeah so yeah I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I had to really train myself out of that because it just your heart gets broken like ten times a day, and it's just like it's no way to live. Exactly, and also you become a hoarder, I think, of yeah. things because you can't because you put so much stock in yes. in things. I there are photographs of me with I'm not sure how many, not that many, because we didn't go through that many family cars, but um the family car that we would have that we would then sell to get a new one yeah. I wanted my photo taken with yeah, because yeah. I got really sad that this all makes perfect sense to me because the car was going and, and I knew that we'd miss each other and it would miss us Aww. and same with the piano um, so this like photos in albums of me like next to them almost like kind of with a face of like slight disgruntlement and sadness and kind of like how are we letting it go I mean how's it gonna get on in the world without us (laughs) um so I think that's just something that stuck with me when I play objects I'm very like yeah objects have got feelings of course they have um so we look at that in the workshop and also like just you know giving I guess giving um giving objects like a world view so they can have a, a nice chat with another object and yeah. um, see what see where they go from there and um, sometimes it's quite fun if it happens to kind of play with puns around what the object is. I right, think I, yeah, I did yeah. that workshop and Chris Mead dropped into it and he played a radiator and I think he had he, he was kind of temperamental and I was like, oh I see, hot and cold. <laughs> hey clever. <laughs> Um, I don't think that's that's not like a must, but it's fun. It's fun <laughs> if you can find that that button. I think from an audience point of view, though, it's also it's really refreshing to see something that aren't just people 
people playing people, when you see people playing yeah. an object, it's like, oh, okay, so we can still be in the same world, but now I'm sort of seeing it from our whole new perspective yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think also what's really nice is that as much as we, and, you know, I desperately try and get away from stereotypes and, again, gender stereotypes, of course, and I feel like with objects, um, you distance yourself again. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't... There, there's, there's no gender to taps there's no gender to chairs tables they are they just are <laughs> and I think that's lovely and refreshing because it definitely it I, well I hope it frees people up to not to not sort of feel like they have to be a certain way or or play things they might usually play or play things that other people endow them to play um I always kind of feel like it's a bit like you park your gender at the door and you can just kind of talk it's just nice it's just nice yeah so does it normally form as as a kind of a a comic relief or is it possible to contribute to an ongoing narrative if you're an object I don't know um comic relief definitely maybe a kind of um palate cleanser yeah I'm trying to think of like how um and whenever when I think of palate cleanser I think (laughs) for some reason in my mind is it's like um in the young ones, I'd have their batshit crazy stuff going on, and then you'd zoom into two flies or to, to or to a frying pan having a chat, and it seemed to be the palate cleanse for like the next beat of what was going on. I'd not thought about that, um, but yeah. So I think in terms of an improv show, it might be that you've had like some fast-paced plot, some some stuff going on, and you can't go to the next level just yet because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's too soon. And so you can either have like a nice big group scene, or you could have, or you could have like some objects. Uh, talking. In fact, we did both. The last Mayday show, we had um, we had, oh, the, yes, we uh, had the, yes. the association of uh, royal turds. Yes. Uh, who did a nice song and dance number? <laughs> I think one of the uh, Maydays on stage said something like, "Oh yes, we are doing that. Then are we all?" There was something <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's this show. Yes. That was Liz. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they were. Yeah, they were magic turds actually weren't they so they were royal and magic yes and turned out to not be that magic but yeah so that was both that was a two in one song and dance and palate cleanser weirdly <laughs> weird weird palate cleanser very um, weird <laughs> very enjoyable show if uh <laughs> i mean there's so much to enjoy in that show. i mean you know i've seen it a couple of times now but uh the bit where jules uh, introduces uh, Jules Munns introduces John Kramer's character and says that John Kramer's character had his vocal cords cut preventing him from speaking for the entire show poor John <laughs> mute but he got a rhyming couplet in the poo song though, so. he did yes that was the only time so, I think he got to speak yeah, was he's when he was a royal that. poo royal <laughs> magic poo <laughs> he did a lot of good face acting I know he was absolutely <laughs> Superb, and you know, I, I didn't feel that we'd been shortchanged, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Um, it felt that because I, I saw the, the uh, saw Happily Never After at the uh, Mayday Street Lost Show Leela, and then I saw it last weekend. Um, it felt that there was a little bit more relaxed last weekend. I mean, how much is um not messing with John or (laughs) (laughs) I mean how much is it it felt that we saw uh, a little bit behind the scenes 
more that time than maybe the previous time I'd seen it. I think it really depends. Like sometimes we go on stage and we are in an absolutely stupid mood. Yeah, yeah. And it will infuse what happens on stage. <laughs> and I think with the one last time, we knew we were going to have such a short amount of time. Yes, yes. Um, it's actually very good discipline. Um, yeah to keep everything simple you always say let's keep it simple and if you feel like it never happens but we we were like we we really made a mission to keep it as absolutely simple and clear-cut as, as we possibly could not that many strands yeah. of narrative try and like wrap it up but also have the glitter on top and then we came off and were like okay we th we think we must now probably it will be a good idea to apply that rationale to uh, a 50 minute show because even if we did that 20 minute show which had a, a good ending. Was that only 20 minutes? Yeah, with 20 minutes wow. at the nursery. So if we did that show yeah. in a 50 minute show, I think that would, we all agreed, that would be fine because whilst that was the ending for that show, it would yeah. be the midpoint for, a, for another show. Yeah. And you could like develop or look at some other areas and still have like a, a nice juicy narrative. So I think. Um, I think that did us the world of good because we've got very used to longer sets, especially in Edinburgh. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, sharpens you up to keep it simple. Yeah. And I think the the fact that 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 you have that in mind, and I think I don't know. I think we were in a really silly mood as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, like really, really daft. Uh, yeah. I mean, both of them were hugely enjoyable. Uh, but it was just interesting seeing the difference between the two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I should get out of the habit of um, uh, recounting uh, improv scenes, because if you were there, it was amazing, and if you weren't there, you're sort of going, what's going on? But It's like someone describing their dream to you. It's exactly like, like oh, that, yeah. what? <laughs> but um, in the one you did at the Maydose Retreat, uh, where you played uh the nephew uh who could control fish yep standard <laughs> I, I think that's one of my favorite things i've seen in <laughs> improv um and the way everyone else leaped in and i can't do it because it's an audio format but they they sort of mined the fish and there was this one point where the, it was all kind of rhythmic fish I'm sort of clapping my hands and tapping stuff. And then the fish at one point came up to come through the door. Um, I forgot what the door, the hole in the door is. <laughs> That's the thing you put letters through. Oh, letterbox. Yeah, letterbox. <laughs> through the letterbox. And they came around the other side. And it was just amazing. It was really, really good fun. I really enjoyed watching that because I didn't do it. Because I was we, I, I was controlling them, being oh, yeah, fish, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't do any kind yes, of, the, yes. <laughs> of the hand slapping stuff. But it was, yeah, it was really nice to watch. I was like, hey, this is great. Thanks, yeah. guys. This is perfect. <laughs> and it's nice to kind of add another kind of musical, slightly musical element yes. in that is just that's not singing or keys. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's fab when that happens. It doesn't happen that much. It should happen more. Yes, <laughs> I, I like that very much, and I would like to have fish. Uh, more. Ha I mean, before I saw that show, I hadn't realised that. I would think that, but I would like to see more fish in, in improv. more improv shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fish in improv. <laughs> fish cool. improv. We'll look into that. <laughs> um, so you're also involved in uh, sitting in a tin camp. Yes. Mr. Jules Munns. Yes. 
Tell me about that. We haven't done one for ages. You've got some more dates um, coming up. We do. I'm so happy. Because um, we did it uh, for a while at when the nursery was over at the other theatre. We did um, a bunch. And it's just such fun because it's very low stakes. It's chatty. Um, we based it on a two-man two group from the States that do bass prov where they just go fishing. <laughs> and they just talk. Fishing improv, you see. There you it's, go. It's a well, you thing that I realised. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and we just wanted to do like a two-person thing that, where you just kind of shoot the shit. But that wasn't the f- origin of it. I think we both have an obsession with space. Right. Um, a real fascination with space and astronauts and that kind of world. And um, it seemed like a really nice um, way to put together what's quite a sort of, what would be quite a high stakes dramatic career being an astronaut um, against some, against just chatting about Tesco's and just yeah. something very banal. Yeah. And we, we thought that if you have been to space a bunch, you probably don't talk about anything particularly technical. You probably do talk about, you go up there and you chat about um, how you dislike the fact that your local Sainsbury's has rearranged <laughs> where you, where the cheese is or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was just a real nice kind of, we were just like, yes, we like those two things. They, <laughs> they're good. And then, uh, and then it kind of went out from there. I was like, "Oh, I think Jules was like, let's get spacesuits." So we got we got white painting. Uh, oh, what do you call them? They're not jumpsuits. What are they called? Um, boiler suits. Oh right, yeah. White yeah. boiler suits that painter and decorators wear. We've got NASA badges that we haven't put on yet, which we really need to. Um, and uh, the audio at the beginning is um, the T minus uh, oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the dark, and then oh, yeah. we hear like the noise of the takeoff and. And, and literally just that moment in the darkness hearing the T-minus, like, I genuinely have a combination of feelings, like, one, that it's Christmas Eve, two, that I'm genuinely going into space. It's just so exciting. It's so exciting. I'm so childish. Um, childlike. Childlike, yes. Um, but I just really enjoy it. And then I just like the fact that we talk about nothing much. And we kind of devised ourselves not not a framework but kind of some things that we can because having a conversation is the most natural thing in the world um but we didn't want it to ever be dull (laughs) so we came we came up with some kind of warm-ups and and ways that we can kind of get into more interesting areas and topics of conversation give me an example uh yes so for example one of our warm-ups is we'll do why is something like something else? And we'll make sure that both of them are like poles apart. All right, yeah, yeah. So we might say, why is a flamingo like paper? Or why is Christmas like a toadstool? And you have to use, it's a bit like the game Defence Lawyer, you have to use real world logic to, to connect the two in a kind of, in a hippie-ish sort of way. So <laughs> why is, what did I say? Why is a flamingo like, like paper? paper? Um, because they both are feather light when thrown through the air. That's terrible. I promise they're better than that. Um, but we'll throw in one of those and we'll also do like some other little techniques and things. So you'll, you'll use them when you're rehearsing or yeah. in the actual show? Sometimes we'll use them in the show. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes we don't need to. This is the thing. When, when, um, when you get into a little kind of avenue of conversation that kind of takes off 
and you're both like challenging each other and going wait what did you just say and having a lot of fun with it you yeah, don't yeah, yeah. you don't necessarily need to but then there are days where where you feel like you need that little extra push yes um uh, so do you ask for a suggestion from the audience we don't no, no we don't we just turn fun. the lights out and make them come to space with us <laughs> <laughs> I think that's reasonable that's a fun place that we all want to go that yeah. sounds good but we're doing it with some dates at the nursery coming up soon and I can't remember when they are which is terrible well, it's alright because oh. you can check because we have the internet these days yes, people yeah. can look it up they don't, <laughs> look need to, it up. they don't need to write in with a self-addressed stamped envelope stamped address envelope is what I meant to say never mind uh, <laughs> we'll, Num- we'll send yeah. them a newsletter they can look it up on the internet yeah, fine. definitely playing at the nursery. A couple of dates between now and Christmas. That sounds more professional than yes. I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an artiste. Don't bother me with the day to day. Oh no, I need to know where where I need to be and when. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely show up. Um, but that's really exciting. We're getting back into that. We've got a playlist and everything. We're, we're multimedia. We're really enjoying it. It's yeah, just yeah. it's loads of fun. Um, yeah. You're also a member of the Dreamweaver Quartet. Yes. That's new and exciting, isn't it? It is brand new and exciting. Um, it's sort of uh, the brainchild of James Witt and myself, but primarily James. Um, we just had a real want to do something that w- would be sonically very pleasing. Um, lots and lots of rich harmonies, kind of transport people on a beautiful sonic musical journey we yeah we, we get audiences dreams yes and uh we do a show based on that uh we have them sort of as the protagonist within it we'll we'll, we'll do that but such is the nature of dreams that they are very strange yes. and they'll go off into lots of different areas so it's clearly not a narrative show <laughs> um and yeah the focus is probably on on soundscape the sound um you've got a harp uh we we hope that we've got a harp for for a couple of shows not for all of them um um yeah so definitely focusing on like pretty sounds and and making it kind of i guess like hitting hitting the heart zone as a and the head zone but the heart zone more kind of make people feel um how do you rehearse um, that well we're just kind of playing around with with ways to open the show, and um, we want we want to have some grounded scenes within it. You can't just have a show that's entirely a dreamscape because there's nothing to anchor it in reality. As humans, we definitely need those points. And when we dream, we also have incredibly normal settings and scenarios and conversations sometimes in dreams I've had yeah. some very dull dreams <laughs> most of my dreams are terrifying so I appreciate the dull ones um, where you have a, just a conversation with somebody and so we need to remember that that's also in play so it's kind of looking at all the different aspects and knowing that we can go surreal and weird yeah. and sonic and strange and do some lovely edits and different things like that so we've been looking at those but also knowing that we can play some grounded topics chatting scenes yeah. um, just to kind of like drop an anchor every so often. <laughs> yes. Uh, so you're talking about sonic soundscapes. How are they yeah. being generated? Oh, um, whoever is 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 um, whoever's on keys or harp or whatever we have on the night and yeah. our voices. Lovely. So, so it's not traditional um, song structures, or it's it will be songs. Yeah, it probably will be songs. I would say not particular. I wouldn't say they'd be like classic verse chorus musical kind yeah, of numbers yeah. we're trying to sort of steer away from that if we find 
nice phrases that we can come back to then we'll, we'll do that if we remember them um, but it's kind of looking at lovely sounding phrases lovely kind of is ambient the right word um, just kind of nice kind of yeah. sounding things like um, pleasing so so not kind not kind of a dystopian like but just making it um, sound pretty but not being not being married to any particular structure but also being trying to be a bit clever about it and not having it go wayward I think um, we did a sort of a very very um, kind of beginning embryonic sort of version of it with just three of us before Edinburgh um, over at the Miller and um, that was very fun yeah yeah and we kind of came a lot of things were born out of that that we want to do again yeah like the way we the way we're gonna open it and um, yeah and it's just very interesting to hear people's dreams the chap who gave us his dream that night was it was it was a really great dream it was um, it was he said he'd he, he had a recurring dream where he was on the tube but he was on the canals in Venice but he knew he was on the tube oh. and everywhere he went he ended up in the same place so it's kind of like a looping yeah. thing um, I think in future we'd love to play with like people who can do loop pedals like yeah. interesting kind of stuff like that um, so yeah a bit different yeah <laughs> so I'm interested in the sort of the waywardness sort of aspect of it because if you've if you're doing a dream and you're applying dream logic, then essentially there isn't really any logic. How much responsibility for sense, in inverted commas, uh, is, 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 are the performers responsible for that or are the audience going to make up their own minds what it all means? That's a hard question. I yeah, I think, I think that's our job. I think when you watch something, you will always fill in the gaps in a way that's unique to you, yeah. um, which is absolutely great. But I think it's on us to keep it from going really wayward. Like we can have those moments that are very um, surreal or very like strange and otherworldly, um, and do some funky edits in that yeah. regard. But I, but like before, I think we definitely need like some standalone scenes that are as normal as possible to kind of keep it keep it anchored and uh, we're, we're looking at returning to themes so returning to musical themes and returning to themes that we did at the beginning yeah. just to kind of keep keep a sense of connection yes. so so it doesn't go linear like a conversation with a child <laughs> <laughs> so that it definitely has some kind of conclusion yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because again as human beings we have this thing in us don't we that we like we like repetition, we like yes. things. We like the rule of three. Yes, yes. <laughs> we like seeing things being brought back. So we, we'll be doing reincorporation and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I just think it's n like nothing any of us have done before. Yeah. And we're all like super excited about it. And, yeah. um, and just bloody love a good sing. Yes. And I just love, I love it when a good harmony emerges. Yeah. And uh, we all kind of know where we are on the, I call it the harmony ladder, which I think would make a, a real musician weep. Um, where are I'm, you on the harmony but ladder? But I'm like, I'm kind of here, I'm kind of like <laughs> high up, but not too high. Right. Okay. And, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, 
someone else will be a little bit below and then someone else will be a little bit above and all together we create a beautiful harmony <laughs> says the girl who didn't do music theory and gave up the violin because she had to do music theory and it was like maths it's hard so <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned a few times um, sort of the, the chatty side of things yeah that seems to be something that's quite important to you in improvisation yeah and originally it wasn't originally it terrified me and I would have run as far away from it as possible. Um, probably as little as five, six years ago. Really? Yeah, I, I just... Um, so what would you do before? Oh, and I still love this, but solid character stuff. Right. And I still absolutely adore character work. I, I love characters and I love absurdity and I love surrealist stuff and I love dumb stuff. And... Um, uh, so I still obviously do that and I love it to my core but um, I kind of got to grips with with the other stuff more and it's really interesting to go from really disliking something to actually really liking it and then realising how much those worlds matter to each other like for example objects that talk is like chatty and character literally colliding you cannot have one without the other. I was like, oh my goodness, this is like my absolute favourite thing in the world with my new favourite thing in the world that used to scare me. Brilliant. Because <laughs> um, I used to, I freaked out when I did monologues. I used to hate monologues. Yeah. I think it's because you find a way of presenting yourself as you and I hadn't found that and I felt like me as me was boring, um, possibly unbearable, um, <laughs> uncomfortable for me. Um, definitely, I just hid behind characters very much. Yeah. Um, and when I went to do the IO five week intensive in 2012, we did monologues. I did monologues for the first time. Oh, I could barely get through one yeah. without kind of coming to a kind of very beetroot red face sort of like haltering stop when I re- felt like I'd said too much. It's like, ah, oh, shit, it's too personal. Mm. No. And, and then, like, no, carry on, it's meant to be personal. But I couldn't. You get more comfortable in your own skin, I think is what I'm saying. And yeah. there's a number of things that also have helped with that, like doing a solo show. Right. Yeah. It's just you. You have to front it. You have to... Anything, any bits that you do in between where you're just talking is you. You have to find a, You have to find your version of stage you, which yes. sounds so wanky. No, 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 no. Um, that's, that's very much the stock and trade of this podcast. <laughs> Finding the stage you is very much what we're interested in discovering. Yeah. And so I gradually got better at that kind of stuff to the point where I thought, well, I'm very interested in teaching it. I was interested in teaching monologues and still am and have done a bit. Interested in teaching chatty scenes, which I've done a lot of as well. And then objects at talk, which combines both. Because I think if you've struggled with something yourself, you can really help other people who don't find it easy because you can say, look, I've been there. Yes. I understand exactly how you feel. But I, can pr- I promise you I can give you these six tools. Yes that you can go away and use or practice and you it, it will feel start to feel better. And as soon as it starts to feel better, you'll literally feel like magic. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, so I don't mean to have to give away all six, but I mean, how did you find a way of presenting yourself? Gosh, how did I? Um, lots of practice. <laughs> Being given a sort of structure for, for monologues in my head um, and then kind of adapting it to, to my own needs 
Um, so what sort of structure would this be? Um, so what I tend to find is most useful for me and what I teach out, and I can't actually remember where I learned this now, which so I feel guilty because I can't credit the, the whoever helped me out. Well, ah. do, uh, do <laughs> write into the Improv London podcast if, if, via the BBC TV London. <laughs> yeah, if this was you, it's probably a combination of like uh, Chicago and then joining the May Days back in 2000 and what and was it, 11? A uh, combination of those two things and bit and like soaking up wise words from other May Days and teachers over across the pond. Um, and it's basically, you've got your little anecdotal story that's fine doesn't have to be funny or clever that's fine and then just thinking what does it what does that say about you like the why do you think that why did you do that or why did you think you did that (laughs) (laughs) if it's past tense so it's so it's not only uh it's taking the next step from this thing happened to me but then it's drawing the conclusions so i did this and i did this because i think this about something larger is that yeah, so if I said, if I'd, I think I did a monologue once about how someone had gone through our bins out the front of my house <laughs> and it freaked me out because I came home to this guy doing it and I like had a, a bit of a heart attack because I was like, oh my gosh, this is trespassing and also this is random dude in my yard and I, yeah. I don't know what to do and I feel a bit threatened and, and I got a bit obsessed about the bins ever after. I kept looking out at them going, is he going to come back? I, be- I became bin lady. I was like, where are my bins? There they are. Anyone there? No. Um... So I told that story and I said, I guess what this says about me is that maybe I'm a bit obsessive, I don't know, or maybe I um, get kind of paranoid about stuff. But lately, uh, and I'd got, to, it got, I'd got paranoid to the point where I jumped at my own shadow oh, no. <laughs> at one point in my own house. Oh dear. Um, and I guess, yeah, it says, what does that say about you? Maybe I'm oversensitive. And then what does it say about society? Is the outer yeah. shell of all of that, which is also a really great thing to apply to um uh character dream songs as well like all of that kind of stuff what's your want what does it say about you you know and how does this affect the wider world yeah it's just kind of feels like it hits a lot of areas of improv it's kind of a good tool for lots of things if you uh, lots of things that you're doing by yourself yes i guess you're doing the work of someone else who'd say to you why do you think that yeah. you have to ask yourself <laughs> So yeah, you mentioned your solo show, um, the most recent one being Office Meltdown. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'd just be interested to know why you wanted to do a solo show and how was the process of creating that different from preparing for an improv show? Um, yeah, so I wanted to do one because I, primarily, I really enjoy characters, doing characters, and I had a lot of ideas and a lot of things that I wanted to do, but I didn't feel like I could do it. And then then as soon as you say that to anyone who knows you, they're like, you should do it, you should do it. <laughs> and then you think, well, if more than three people have told me to do it, I should probably do it now. And also, yeah, and also, yeah, I thought, <laughs> I don't want to wake up dead having not done it. Um, because really, what, what even matters in this world? I mean, who cares? But <laughs> it's like, might as well just give it a go. So the first show I did was Doors to Manual, and that was quite a an easy-ish process because it was based on my fear of flying and how I sort of got around that and my fascination with aeroplanes and airliners and then I set my characters on on a plane which was um, nice and easy but I learned that when you do a solo show you have 
and this is probably anyone who's done it a lot is probably like yeah of course but I had no idea but you just get help from lots of people so it's not just you Um, like initially I, I sat down and for a couple of hours in the Barbican with Dave Waller, who used to do a bunch of improv. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and because uh, he'd done a solo show and just picked his brain, had got his ideas, and he helped me with the editing of stuff because it gets really hard to edit your own work a lot of the time. Um, I didn't know how to get from one character to the other, how, how I wanted it to look. So I got Lewis Harrison Barker to help me with that. I got Sue Harrison to help me with the characters because I thought maybe they're 2D and I don't know. And so she hotspotted them and we did a whole afternoon on that. Um, Wait, did you say she hotspotted them? Yeah, so she'll, she does a brilliant thing where she'll just sit you down as a character like you're in a job interview and she'll oh. just talk to you. Uh, and it brings out some really funny stuff. Yeah, like yeah. We were both laughing a lot because like, she's a genius. And then, yeah, it kind of it really helps with thinking of like other things that your character could say or do and it, and then you can even nick a couple of the decent I don't know how much of the background noise <laughs> it's not... got my, my ears being drawn I'm like what's I'm, going I'm, on? I'm rarely in the uh, nursery training centre on a Monday night because normally I'm teaching so uh, it sounds like everyone has a lot of fun it gets fruity on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Book your room at the nursery training centre on Mondays it's fruity night um, yeah so um, yeah there's a lot of people who help you out and then your tech comes and helps you out with the tech yeah. so you're not even by yourself on the day um, but only you can pull it off so only you can kind of get up there and do it and I, di- I, I just yeah every time I did it and every time I did Office Meltdown which was the second show, solo show I felt really sick and like I was faking it oh, no. <laughs> which I think is normal yeah um, but yeah, it's just a case of having a lot of ideas and thinking, oh, do you know what? I'd quite like to like release the noise in my head because I think it might I think it might be quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> it might be quite interesting. And it's always nice when people can relate to things that you do as well. Like with any luck, it can be cathartic for you and for your audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as just being downright silly. I just really enjoy thoroughly silly, surreal, stupid stuff because... Yeah. We can't make sense of this universe. There's no, ch- we haven't got a chance. So we might as well enjoy some utter batshit, silly, <laughs> stupid stuff. Um, I genuinely don't think that. Don't think I, there are parts of my brain and the things that I find amusing that just have not moved on, uh, or maybe that since I've since I was a kid, I've always enjoyed like crazy sounding names, um, puerile toilet humour. Um, <laughs> bonkers faces and uh, so I mean one of my absolute heroes is Kristen Wiig because she just does the best faces she barely needs to say anything and I'm in bits laughing so it's that kind of thing it's like make thinking oh can can you empathize with this I want to like sort of do that and but I also want to make you laugh and also want to make you think and uh, you know change your life (laughs) (laughs) that's impossible um, yeah, it's fun, and it's it's a good thing to do for yourself to just know you can do it. Yeah. It, even if you don't do anything with it. Um, yeah, it's fun. Cool, excellent. <laughs> well, that sounds like a recommendation to me. Um, so, last couple of questions. Um, when you're performing, um, do you like to give people gifts 
or do you like to mess with them? Oh man, I think sometimes they're the same thing. <laughs> I think there are some improvisers who have that kind of, that I know well and play with a lot. Yeah. That have their glint, a glint in their eye. That the best gift you can give them is messing with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that they're just they're really up for it. Um, so I think both. I think it's really lovely to to give someone a gift. I think if you, yeah, things that they like to do, or if you haven't seen their character for a while and you feel like you want to bring them back, so you kind of you'd be like, I could say a thing that could potentially. I mean, it might not because anything goes in improv. Yeah. Make them central to the storyline great um but enjoy but messing with each other is so enjoyable as well it's, it's almost like it's like um it's like having a bit of a party <laughs> on stage which you know you don't want to cross the line into self-indulgent you you want to bring everyone with you you yeah, don't want yeah. it to look anything don't want it to look like an in joke that's like awful <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um so that you have to always watch that but um i think it's utterly enjoyable to mess with each other and i i enjoy it when my teammates like mess with me because we we know the things that we can mess each other up yes. with and yes. we know the things that we could never do and and i would there are things that i would never do or never get people to do in shows because they're just like oh i don't like that or, <laughs> <laughs> um i can't think of anything at the moment but like um yeah, it's just it's a lot of fun, and you can see the look on their faces. We're we're almost waiting for for to be kind of pushed into like some an awkward task or something yeah. within a show, and it's an absolute delight because you can kind of you can almost sense the the tension before the high wire act begins <laughs> within the high wire act, <laughs> um, and that's a that's a whole lot of fun. That's a treat. Both are a treat. I like them both. <laughs> so if okay, final question. So if somebody, uh, how would if someone were to perform with you, um, how could they delight you? Oh my gosh, they could just make me be like a clock or a <laughs> pillowcase or <laughs> a demonic child. <laughs> or, um, that would be utterly delightful for me. Um, I know that Jules and I have often said when we do Tin Can, even though we're playing as close to ourselves as possible, he often says that he sometimes he's like, our show is basically you saying weird shit and me trying to work out what the hell you said. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. And he's like, no, I really like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that's not always the case. Like we've we've definitely had like points where he said something and I've said, what mate? What's that? Tell me that again. What do you mean by that? Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, having leave to be surreal. Um, and uh, having leave to go off on a, a tangent is always a delight for me. I made this. That's improv! <laughs>